Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. Man, it's good to be with you today. Happy, happy five years, people. Woo, put them fives up. Put them fives up. Listen, y'all, y'all, y'all left all the rowdiness at anniversary week. We got to spruce, spruce this thing back up, baby. We got to make it do what it do. It's good to be with you um, to start our sixth year of ministry at the Ave. I want more. I'm ready for more gospel. I want more Jesus in my life. I want an attractive faith that people want more. They want to hear more from us. Anybody want more? Say more. All right, I know. I'm going to stop trying to rile you up because I know you're not. You're just trying to get in, get out today, and I don't want to mess you up. You know what I'm saying? Y'all all be hustling back to see your sorry team lose. Why be in such a hurry? Stay a while. Um, but it is truly, it's good to be with you, man. I, seriously, I'm, I don't know about y'all. I'm, I am hungry for more. I just believe in what God is doing. And I'm, I'm just so convinced that we got more ahead. And I want to be a part of it. Anybody want to be a part of it? Amen. Say, I do. Amen, amen, amen. Um, one of the things that we did at Vision Night is I kind of laid out this uh, vision for at least how I'm going to be, I feel compelled to be pushing on us. Um, and I took that from five years worth of thinking about discipleship. Um, you know, when you move to Memphis, Tennessee, uh, one of the coolest things that, that you'll find out about our, our, our unique place in Christendom is there is a strong, I think, discipleship culture. I really do. I believe that. And so one of the first things that happened when I moved to Memphis was like, you know, after a while you bump shoulders with the Christian people, they were like, well, who discipling you? And who you discipling? And it's like, that's common phraseology. That's common jargon. I was like, whoa, okay. Are people really serious about discipleship here? Um, and, you know, then, you know, I got further along in the game and, you know, I just, I, I really needed to do some theologizing on discipleship and really kind of have my own convictions um, based on Scripture, not my own opinion, but my own convictions based on Scripture. Um, And so uh, it took me a little while, but I finally got to the place where, especially um, now pastoring a church, um, I think I have a more clearer vision. This is not final. Everything's very fluid. I think I have a clear picture of at least what I'm talking about when I start talking about discipleship and what we kind of need to be doing here. Um, If you look at the recap email from Vision Night, there's about 10 things um, that I lay out, uh, 10 kind of attributes. This is kind of like if, if you came to PT's fit boot camp, you know what I'm saying, and I was trying to mold you into a more fit person, well, I'm trying to mold you into a more fit spiritual being, right? And so these are the 10 things that I'm trying to get more definition in your trap, you know what I'm saying? Trying to get, you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to get that thing right, right, right? So I list those out, but I've kind of broken them out into four four key areas, right? Um, That I want you to be sturdy. Everybody say sturdy. I want you to be studied. Everybody say studied. I want you to be submissive. Everybody say submissive. And say spirit-filled. There's four things, man. I want you to be sturdy. I want you to be studied. I want you to be submissive. I want you to be spirit-filled. Um, and I think that 
as we build these things, we will be more equipped as we grow into these attributes and these virtues. We'll be more equipped uh, to shine like lights in this world, to fulfill our purposes that we've been left in this world to do. And so this year, um, the, the attribute that will feel most heavy is the studied part, right? Um, everybody say studied, right? Um, we will kind of lean a little more heavier than maybe uh, heavier is the wrong word. We will be more explicit about spiritual formation and knowledge and theology than we probably have been in the previous five years. We have been, uh, uh, to God be the glory, um, there's never been a message that I've preached here where I was not doing some theology for you and was not taking very careful attention to make sure that it was sound and it was faithful. So it's not like we're now just about to start doing good theology, right? But now uh, we're about to start leaning into really some explicit places um, where the Bible kind of calls us uh, to sharpen um, our theology and our doctrine. Um, And we're getting ready to preach Romans as Evan Warner. You know, sometimes you just got critical little boogers. He came, uh, he reminded me this morning, he said, PT, you said you were going to start Romans in March of 23. (laughs) Thanks, Evan. Uh, But we're about to start preaching through Romans. And guess what? We're not going to start today either. Uh, Because I wanted to make a transition. And I wanted to preach this message on a verse that's been very near and dear to me. It's How many of y'all have are not very great at scripture memory, but you have like one or two scriptures that just, they just roll off the tongue real easy. This is just one of those for me. I have just always held this one like from 10 years ago. Hey, little Timothy, hey, pay attention to your life and doctrine. In doing so, in persevering in doing so, you will be able to save your life and others. That's, that one just, it, I, I promise you, I spent little time memorizing it this week. This was just really natural and easy. And it's very uh, simple and it's very digestible to preach, and we're going to lean into that. Um, So as we begin to take a more explicit theological journey, we're doing so because we'll be preaching through Romans. Romans, if you have Bible knowledge, is probably considered to be by some the constitution of our faith. Maybe it's it's, many people... Uh, considered to be very dense theologically, right? Um, that there's really weighty matters that kind of are, you, you don't just kind of jump in there and just, oh yeah, have patience. Oh yeah, have hope. Oh yeah, endure. There's some things that you have to chew on a little bit when you start thinking about Judaizers and, and, and how grace was applied back in the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And so we'll be very explicit about theology. Um, and so literally, what I wanted to do before we take this weighty journey, because I know some of you sitting in this room think that, and maybe one of your mantras of Christianity is, oh, you know what, I don't need all that. Like, that's your, that's your thing. Like, you know, you know the Bible buff people, they annoy you. You know the people who claim to be heavy theological. You considered seminary. You considered big books, and you're like, no, I'll stay with the 50-page pamphlets because theology, intellect stuff, that's just, that's not your jam. That's not your version of Christianity. And what I simply want to do before we jump into probably two, two and a half years worth of Romans is just remind you that theology matters. 
I just want to remind you today that theology matters. Everybody say theology. Matters. I know some of y'all are coffee aficionados. I'm looking at Bart back there, and I don't even care. But I'm just starting to take my coffee journey. And my wife, who loves me, she just, she just take care of you, boy. So she, she tried to lace me with all the situations I need. And so literally just this month, we have just begun to start picking up different things because we've, you know, for the past 10 years, we've been curing people. You know what I'm saying? K-cup, puka. K-cup, puka. You know what I'm saying? That thing just, oh, stop that. Stop that. Don't be judgmental. It's a journey. Run a journey. And so I was like, man, you know. I finally got to the point where, you know, how many of y'all know this? You've been on the journey where it's like, oh, I can distinguish different coffees. I was like, oh, that coffee's nasty. This coffee's amazing. You know, I've finally gotten to that point. And so now I'm like, hey, how do I recreate that in my own space? You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, it's hard. How many of y'all know? It's hard. So we got this brand new machine and, and you know, essentially, you spend a hundred something dollars on the machine we need to be getting $100 worth of situation out of that. And so, you know me, I just crash straight in. I'm like, oh, man, you know what? Just give me this and give me that, and I'm just going to do it. And then I taste it, and I'm like, oh, man, what happened? You know? And Gina's like, Tim, stop it. I'm going to do it tomorrow. I'm just going to sit down and read the I'm on me to We not doing nothing without it, y'all. We not doing nothing without it. And I want to let you know, some of y'all, this is good news for you today. That your spiritual coffee maker can do more than what you thought it could. And we about to set you free on a journey today. We about to set you free. You about to start enjoying your walk with Jesus so much more because we are going to force your whole church family. We are going to make a deliberate, explicit attempt to start doing what? Reading the book more. And I'm not just talking about Sarah Young because I love her. Isn't that her? That's my girl, Jesus calling. I love me some Sarah Young. But sometimes I got to get up in that thing. You understand what I'm saying? You know, there's some mornings where, listen, I finally, this is not, I'm just telling you. Let me be honest with you. Y'all pay me to stay in my word. But there are some times where the only word I can get on my, in my life for a whole 24 hours is opening up the Bible app and reading the verse for the day. I have made a commitment. I will not go a day without some word sitting on my heart. Now, that much is true. Now, I'm not sitting and reading 10-volume books every day. That's not what I'm doing. But there are times where it's like, oh, I'm ready and I'm ready to get in it. Just that one verse ain't enough for what I want right now. I need to get up in that thing. Where the commentaries? Where the this at? Where the Bible software? I need to get in it. I want to encourage you that what I'm calling you to today is not just to experience the Bible, but to actually start digging in that thing. You ever fry some chicken? And you got all the batter and all the stuff on there because you had to get in there. You had to get all up in there. Now you got the flour and the egg all up in your crevices because you had to get in there. Somebody said, we got to get in there. So here's where we go. This verse is very simple. 1 Timothy 4.16 has two imperatives in it. It is a very clear command. It's got two imperatives. It says, keep watch, right? It says, watch your life. 
and doctrine closely. And then it goes on. It doubles down. It says persevere in them. What do you mean, preacher? Hey, Paul is saying when he says watch, hold firmly to something, to be alert, to be vigilant, to watch your life and your doctrine means to pay close attention to it, right? He goes on. He doesn't just leave it with watch your life and doctrine. He says persevere in them, and he's not introducing a new subject or topic. Pay attention to the grammar and how it's flowing. He's basically restating what he already said. I don't want you to just be alert. I want you to stay. How many of y'all know some of y'all come from old Pentecostal backgrounds where you used to tear it? The Holy Spirit was being dispensed. And you would just sit at the altar and you'd wait till the gift would come on you. And you just stay there. It's like when, when you had that first date with sweet Gina. And it's like, baby... My curfew's at 11 o'clock, but I would like to just tarry. Can you tell me about your science teacher and how much you like science? I'm just finding the reasons because I enjoy your company and your space so much, your energy. I'm just going to hang around a little while. Concerning your life, concerning your doctrine, Paul tells young Timothy, hey, pay close attention to it and don't be in a hurry to move on to other subjects. You need to stay a little while. What does your life mean? When Paul starts instructing Timothy about his life, he's talking about it's really a representation of himself, his life, his behavior, the things that he does. And I say, my life matters. My behavior actually matters. You know, now I've been big on this. I've been big on this, right? That the things you do matters. I think I'm going to do a series maybe at some point when this one's over. Your holiness, your obedience, it still matters. James speaks on this in James 1 and 22 and James 2 and 14. He says you can't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. Right? He goes on in the same book, James 2. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith and no deeds? Can that kind of faith save him? No. There is no life in God without behavioral change. And I know you've been overtaught on justification and works, but let me just come back to some rudimentary things. If your life don't look like it belonged to Jesus, we got a whole lot of reasons to question. James says to his early church as he pastors them, hey, brothers, you can't just be hearers. You got to be doers too, or you're fooling yourselves. You are the guy who shows up to the open runs, and you got your Air Jordans on, and you got a shooting sleeve, and you got a headband, and you got a throwback Larry Bird jersey, and they throw you the ball, and you like, you are fooling yourself, my brother. You ain't no hooper. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's not fool ourselves. Our obedience matters. But I want to talk about these twins, life and doctrine. Everybody say life and doctrine. These are the twins of Scripture. This is the twins, really, of the life of Christ. What we believe and how we live. Luke 8, 21. Jesus says, who are my brothers and sisters? Those who hear the word of God? He says, those who hear it and do it. Those are my family members. He goes on, John 13 and 17. He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do these things. Right? 
One of the things that modern Christianity has done to us, it has kind of tried to force, and I'll repeat it again later, it's put some tension in between the knowing and the doing, as if they don't supposed to go together. When Scripture speaks about knowing and doing, they're always in conjunction. Knowing and doing are forever conjoined twins. You don't know nothing unless you're doing it. And everything you do is based off something you inherently know. The knowing and the doing are forever joined. Those are the twins. So let's talk about doctrine. Paul says, watch your life and your doctrine. Persevere in them. What's doctrine, pastor? At the very basic level, if you're taking notes, it's just teaching instruction lesson. Like doctrine, that Greek word is not exclusive to Christianity. It's, me, it's didactic, right? It's, it's teaching. It's some kind of lesson, some kind of instruction, right? Um, sometimes, even as I preach today, I will use the word doctrine and theology interchangeably, right? And so sometimes when I th- say theology, I mean doctrine. Sometimes when I say doctrine, I mean theology. Then we use them interchangeably. But as it relates and as it pertains to Christianity, what doctrine is, I should have put it on the screen, but I'll read it slow for you. It is the body of teachings. It's the body of teachings of the Christian faith concerning its central beliefs. It is the body of teachings of the Christian faith concerning its central beliefs. One more time. When we start thinking about doctrine and theology in a really specific sense, it is the body of teachings of the Christian faith concerning its central beliefs. Now, has, has doctrine always been important, Pastor Tim, or is this a New Testament kind of thing? No, doctrine has always been important. It's so important that Paul, we're reading, Paul is writing this letter to young Timothy, right? And he's trying to basically disciple him from afar on how his, his faith needs to mature and how he needs to be instrumental in growing his young body of believers that are around him, right? And he, so this is 1 Timothy 4, the scripture we're preaching today. This is what he says in 2 Timothy 1 and 13. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. So listen, so now we got two letters and Paul saying the same thing, bro. Hey, your doctrine, what I have taught you, you keep it, you watch it. It matters, young Timothy. Not only does Paul repeat it, we see the early church, they're doing theology right out the gate. We love to talk about Acts 2 and 42, and the only thing we think about is the, is the early New Testament church is how they came together. But what did, the, what did the first church come to do? What did they essentially think was important? It's so funny, man. I'm taking this class on worship. And it's funny, all the cultural expressions of worship, gospel singers, praise teams, even old deacons used to kneel, I love the Lord, he heard my, big symphonies and all that, even liturgy. You know one of the first things in this book that I'm reading? It's like, man, one of the first letters we got from the original church fathers that gave us any inclination to what the first worship services were like. All they did, somebody was reading something from the, the, the early church canon, and they were taking communion. You know, all the other stuff we do, that's just cultural. You do realize that, right? Stop dying on that hill, yo. But you know what's so cool? Acts 2.42, instinctively, the church is doing theology. When they got together, 
They broke bread, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Everybody say, theology is important. From the beginning, they said, man, we don't know exactly what we're supposed to be doing. Our master just left, and it was kind of like a cloud. I'm not sure it was a cloud. It was like a pillar, a thunderbolt. He gone, no. But what are we going to do? Man, we better start teaching each other, and we better start taking the communion. Because what we believe about him matters. Amen, lights and walls. I haven't said that in a little while, so it felt really good coming off. The auction's always been important. Jesus came and he was teaching. In the very first chapter of Mark, Mark 1.21, then Jesus and his companions went to Capernaum and right away Jesus entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. Then, famously, when Jesus has, 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 has resurrected and those, those, those women see him in his resurrected body, Luke 24.47, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus was a teacher. And Jesus wanted to teach. He never just did the miracles. He always was like, and matter of fact, there are several points in the Gospels where it says, hey, Jesus was doing the miracles. He was like, okay, I, I need to move to the next town so I can teach. I need to inform people about who I am. And Jesus wasn't just any teacher. This is where we part with Islam, one of the primary rules, because he wasn't just a teacher. He wasn't just teaching nice things about how we can be human beings. John 7, 16, Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. My actual, my, my material. You want to talk about a lesson plan? He said, my material comes straight from heaven. It comes from the one who sent me, God, the God of the universe. John 14, 16, I'm the way. I am the truth. I am the truth. Everybody say, Jesus is the truth. And if Jesus is the truth, then what do we need to do? We need to get to know him. We need to get to know him. Knowing God is one of our highest priorities in our Christian walk. Point blank, period. Knowing God is one of the highest priorities we have in our Christian walk. In my new systematic theology class, some of y'all know Brother Jeremy Jones from uh, IPC, but he goes on to say that knowing God is not just learning information. When we talk about knowing God, it is a personal, relational knowing with your whole being. It's your whole being. So one of the false dichotomies that's also been placed in this is like, man, you know what? Uh, um, You know you, you, you got to know God. And some people are like, no, you need to know him in a, in, a, in a felt experiential way. And then some people are like those people who are more predisposed to theology. They're like, no, no, you need to know things about him. It's both, y'all. It's both. Some of y'all need to come into the beautiful world. Man, I literally almost left my class in a puddle of tears just learning about the various processions of God. Some of y'all are like, what? Yeah, that God the Father uh, proceeds from, and God the Son proceeds from, and God the Spirit proceeds from. It just was blessing my whole entire being. You're like, what? Why is that even important? Yes. Some of y'all need to come into the waters of theology, not so that you'll learn, but so you can be blessed. Some of y'all need to go into the experiential waters of life. Man, you know what? I'm not doing all that. All they do is just sing the same thing over and over again. Yes, we do, and we love it. Because it's true. 
And then you say things that are true to someone you love, golly, it blesses them and it blesses you. You need both. You need the experience and you need the information. Stop putting a wedge in between it. There's been a false dichotomy between knowledge and virtues, the thinking and the doing. We need both. The Bible never speaks about, just like we read, who are my brothers and sisters? Those who know, know the information, who hear it and do it. So it's the action and the information. They're always working in conjunction with one another. And any time, it just makes so much sense. Any time we come into a new season where there's new knowledge, there's new new ways of, of, of doing things. Anytime y'all welcome a, a new pet home, anytime you get a new, new grill system in your house, you know, uh, Josh not here, but Josh, I think for his birthday, one of them birthdays, he got some kind of egg situation and he got wood pellets and, and then all of a sudden, inherently, with the new thing that he got, it's this brand new knowledge about, oh, got to get this pellet to 180 degrees and you got to get this one and you can't turn that one, it's got to turn this color. And so why do you know so much about these tiny little things? Because anytime you welcome something into your life that is important to you, you learn more about it. You have to. Why do you know so much about a cocker spaniel? Well, if I value it and I love it and take care of it, I got to expand my knowledge base. Some of y'all, I guess I'm leaning on you a little bit. I'm challenging you in the middle of this sermon that some of you all have embarked on a Christianity where you've set a bar on what you will get to know about God. And I'm saying, no, my friend, no, no. If you walk into Christianity saying, oh, here's what, that's all I need to know about God, you are missing the whole point. There is no bar. Somebody say, God, I want to know more about you, God. Matt Chandler says that I think part of the struggle in undervaluing good theology has been this idea of hyper-fundamentalism that's been wrongly associated with good theology and doctrine. So anytime we start talking about doctrine, you immediately start thinking about people who are hyper-fundamentalists. It's like, oh, okay, well, I don't want to be those people because those people do those things. Let me just really quickly just tell you a couple things just to be aware of. When we start talking about people who are higher, high, you need to be a good theologian to be a Christian. You do. Period. Yes. Even if you don't know much, it better be accurate. I believe he the son of God. Would you remember me today? Yeah, man. People who are hyper-fundamentalists, just a couple of my observations based on some things I was reading, they have a propensity to be super loyal to one doctrine. Little flag. So if you come into church, and some of y'all know people, you come into church and you just got that one ax, you ready to grind. We could be talking about Jesus feeding the 5,000, and here you go talking about your theological issue. It's like, man, how did they get abortion into Jesus feeding the 5,000? Wait a minute. We got to watch you now. You might be slipping into some hyper-fundamentalism. 
People who are hyper-fundamentalists hyper and not good theologians, they have no room for discourse. You know those type of people who all they want to do is talk? They're not looking for conversation. They came to teach you. Oh, I'm so glad you invited me to small group today so that you could be blessed by my information. <laughs> Keep it pushing, man. People who take non-essential things and make them the ultimate thing. That's not good theology, right? They talk in Acts about preaching the whole counsel of Scripture, not just, not just the place where you have a mouthful and you just want to unload that. Good, theolo good theologians are well-rounded. People who are hyper-fundamentalists, they just concentrate on their one thing and they wear that thing out, right? People who are hyper-fundamentalists don't really have room for grace. They've forgotten the gospel. People who are hyper-fundamentalists always can convince themselves that there are errors that are unredeemable. People who are hyper-fundamentalists love to throw the word heresy around like it's a dollar bill. Heresy, 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 everybody. Heresy. Okay, sorry, 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 sorry. Aren't we glad people ain't burning you at the stake for your theological errors, brother, sister? You know that None of us in here have pinpoint accurate theology. Nobody, not even your pastor. It's a journey. Now, that doesn't, what, what, what that doesn't mean is that we don't get to hold each other accountable, but it also doesn't mean that we don't get, that grace doesn't work even for those people who might be theologically ina inaccurate. They can come along. How many of y'all have been around long enough to see people who were in error come around? It's like, and they live long enough to say, hey, man, you know what? Man, I just want to thank you, brother, for being patient because I was wrong back then. And people who are hyper-fundamentalists, they don't want to see people come around. They want to see them burn. And I don't have time for that. I want people to see it rightly, don't you? I want to see them come back into grace. I want to see them rightly aligned. I don't want to see them burn at the pitchfork. Thus, my last uh, hyper-fundamentalist, you can just tell they're always so militant, just so militant. Second Timothy, there's in, in so many other places, Paul, as he is fighting for his people to be good theologians, he's always telling them, but rebuke them gently, correct them graciously. You do not get a free pass to be a jerk because you're correcting somebody. That is not our gospel. It's not our way. Some of us, like I said before, we think it's, it's kind of cute. Some, it came from somewhere, and I, I think at times I've even said it. It's like, all I want is Jesus. That's all that matters is Jesus. Please make sure you stop saying that today, this day. Kevin DeYoung has this cool video on TGC, because as soon as you start saying or clarifying why all you want is Jesus, then you're doing theology. When you start explaining 
why all you want is Jesus, you are doing theology. Because you have to. Because Jesus has to have real characteristics. There has, your love for him has to be based on real truth. Or else, you might be misidentifying Jesus. One of the things that we say, we break our membership class down into two parts. We start talking about ecclesiology, the study, the anatomy, the architecture of the church, how it's governed, what, what your role is as a member, what it consists of, the sacraments. Then we start talking about doctrine, what we believe in, kind of what sets us apart. And one of the opening lines I love is, is that, listen, you can't just believe what you want to believe about Jesus and be a Christian. And I always make the same corny joke, but I think it's so apropos. If you think that Jesus is the dude who came down flying in the middle of a rainy Prince concert uh, singing Purple Rain, then you can't be a Christian because that ain't Jesus. You can't make up your own attributes about Jesus and call yourself a Christian. If you want to be a Christian, you have to receive the testimony of what he says about himself, your condition, and the world you live in. That's why you're a Christian. Else, if you are just formulating what you want to think about Jesus and calling that Christianity, then all you're essentially doing is you're making your own fatted calf. That's what you're doing now. You made yourself a little God, and now you worship it on your own terms because your God does what you want. Okay. What sets you apart as a Christian is that someone broke into time, space, and history and says, this is who I am. Do you believe me? And what I say of myself. And when we receive that testimony, you are the Savior. You are the sustainer. You are reconciling all things. You have become the propitiation for our sins. You have given us the down, the down payment of the Holy Spirit as the seal and guarantee that one day you'll bring us fully and finally to yourself. We receive that testimony. That thing is true. That's what makes you a Christian. Not because I just, oh, why are you a Christian? I don't know. What do you believe? I don't know. I just Believe it. Mm-mm. Negative. 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 You will not be a member at this church if we ask you, hey, so when did you come to faith in Jesus? And you say, okay. Because we know sometimes it's a process. It's like, okay, well, when is the first time you realized that you were a sinner? Never. Okay. Well, when did you realize that you needed a Savior? Oh, I don't. Okay, time out. We love you, sister. We love you, brother. But let us tell you what Christianity is, and now let's revisit that to see if you believe that. But you don't get a chance to make up a religion and call it Christianity. You got to know what it is. All right, I know y'all done with that. I'm apologize. Our knowledge of God is extremely important to our spiritual walk, and it has a profound impact on our, both our hope and our effectiveness. Our knowledge of God is extremely important to our spiritual walk, and has a profound impact on our hope and effectiveness. 
Pastor Tim, why is doctrine so important? Well, I, let me just tell you, it is important. That's why I love this scripture. Keep a watch. Watch your life and your doctrine. Persevere in them because in doing so, you will be able to save your life and others. Wow, what are the stakes? Uh, literally saving your life. What you believe about God can save your life and the others around you. Uh-oh. Everybody say, uh-oh. These twins of life and doctrine have major implications on your salvation. The Dictionary of Bible Themes just says this, that sound doctrine is intended to shape and mold the people of God for life and service in the world. That's what good doctrine is supposed to do. That's what good theology is supposed to do for you. It's, it's molding you. It's preparing you for life and service. And here are just four things, four implications of why doctrine is necessary from that same dictionary Bible themes. I'll read them with you. It's necessary for Christian maturity and effective service. Second Timothy, right? 3, 16, 17, y'all know that. All scriptures, God breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's go back. How are you going to be equipped for every good work? You got to be in your book. You got to be being formed by scripture and understanding how to correct and train and use it. You got to be in your book. Good doctrine leads to salvation. We kind of just talked about that. I skipped ahead. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life. You cannot believe unless Romans 10 makes it so clear. How are people to believe if they never hear something? You have to actually hear a coherent message about who Jesus is and what he's doing, and then you have to accept that. But you can't believe in something you've never heard, right? And so good doctrine, as we proclaim it, people can hear it, and they can choose whether or not they want to believe it. It leads to repentance. Similar ideas, but a little different take. Opponents must be gently instructed in hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of truth. It's when we, can, when we have a comprehensive understanding of Scripture, we can stop getting into arguments where we do one of two things. That don't sound like it's in the Bible, but I don't know where it is, so I'm just going to back up. How many of y'all been in places like that? You know, you, 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 you. thanks, Lily. She's been, she's, been, she's been in situations like that. But it's like, man, you know something's off, but you don't know why it's off. But when you are in your word and you are growing theologian, you can instruct people on why they're off instead of just being like, well, I don't know. I know you're wrong, though. Or some of y'all, when you get into theological debates, you're just like, something's wrong. And the person just get on your nerves and you just don't ever want to call them again. It's like, yo, we got to stop doing that. If you would make it your business to start growing in your word, you don't have to lash out at people, but you can calmly and coherently help them understand where they're in error. I love doing, I love that you live long enough and, and people, you know, see you. And I love having those, those conversations with people who's like, Wait, wait, wait. Well, I thought the Holy Spirit. And it's like, oh, okay. No. Holy Spirit, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, okay. Such, it's a good thing. Gently restoring and correcting. Lastly, 
It's necessary to defend the faith. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect. I think if there were ever a need for good apologetics, apologetics presupposes good theology. You ain't do. <laughs> we don't need boxers. We don't need people to take up arms to defend our faith. Just in case some of y'all were worried, don't do that, please. Don't get you a I love Jesus tattoo and start roughing up people for the expansion of the kingdom. Please do not. If you want to defend our faith, have some good theology. Don't be a jerk. Have a lifestyle that matches that of Christ and have good theology. That will help get us a long way. What we end up usually having is people who are unintelligent about our faith or people who are just hyper-militant, and it's like, oh, man, please stop talking. Please, just you. Brother, why don't you sit down? You don't represent us. We got it. We'll figure it out. Please, you stop. We need good theology. If you want to do apologetics, you need to have sound theology. Pay attention to your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do so, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. That word saved, sozo, it is specifically related to salvation. The only way that you can be saved is upon receipt of a message. You realize that the, the devil, his main weapon, his primary weapon in this world is deception. And we combat deception with truth. If you think you can live a victorious Christian life without knowledge and truth, you have already lost. If you think you can live a victorious Christian life without growing in knowledge and truth, you have already lost, and as the movie writers would say, you have brought a knife to a gunfight. When Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, we just preached it a couple weeks ago, as he was combating the devil, he wasn't just saying, shoo, leave me alone. He was combating him with the word of God. Let me, let me rightly exposit what nine, Psalms 91 is actually saying. People, I'm begging you to come in to your word, to know it, to be good theologians. Not so that we could be puffed up. I think that's one of the things that we inherently think about people who have knowledge because the Bible tells us knowledge does puff up. So usually the people who do good theology, they always want to let us know they got good theology. And for some of y'all who pride yourselves on, some of you know, there are always messages when it's not your day. You know, it's like, you know, when I preach about faith, I know that all the people who, are, who got the gift of faith, they're like, yeah, everybody should have faith. And then all the people who feel small in their faith, they, you know. And then some of y'all in this room, you know, as soon as I say, man, we're going to preach today that theology matters, y'all was like, get them, Pastor Tim. Yes. Bust them up. But, yo, we got to be careful that we're not the people who are turning people away from wanting to pursue good theology. It's all those quote-unquote Bible buffs that make us feel like, ugh. 
if that's what that leads you to, count me out. Those of us who love theology, may we ask and beg God to give us grace and humility. That there would be something so compelling about our pursuit of knowing the Lord that other people would say, I want to know, I want to know him like you know him. Not be turned away or discouraged from ever starting the journey. You know, there's a popular movie trope, you know, where it's usually, I'm just thinking about so many things like Saved by the Bell and whatever. You know, everybody's trying to get a little boyfriend or girlfriend. And and, and usually, you know, the person uh, maybe, man, they finally introduce this beautiful girl to the rest of the group. But, you know, maybe she's not from this country. And so, man, look at this amazing woman. And everybody's so surprised that Tim's got a girlfriend that beautiful. And everybody's just trying to figure out why. Or, you know, they do the same thing. Like maybe this big old hunk of a man, you know, he comes up. And and all the girlfriends, they're like, they show up and she's on Sheila's arm. And everybody's like, oh, my gosh, Sheila, that guy is, he's a beautiful man. How did you end up with him, right? And then all of a sudden, the guy opens his mouth and, uh, you know, Sheila's like, oh, no, no, baby, don't speak. Don't speak. Just, you just stand there and be beautiful and muscular and handsome with your strong chin and all that. You just stand there and do that, but don't speak. You know what I'm saying? Because either the guy's dumb as a box of rocks or whatever the case may be, right? You know, that's, the, that's that popular movie trope. And I think the idea is that, you know, sometimes these people, they want that arm candy. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey. I want to enjoy an image of who you are, but not who you really are. I want to be faced with the reality of like, oh, I like you for this reason, but not all those reasons. And I think that's the reality. One of the things that Jeremy Jones said in our class was that doing theology is actually hard. And we don't want to do it. And getting to know God is actually counter to us because I think inherently we know that we will be held accountable for every new thing we learn about him. And everything he says has an impact on how we live. And maybe I just don't want to change how I live. So some of us are still in this day using our Jesus like arm candy. Forgiveness and justification. But Jesus, don't start talking about a theology of the home. Don't start talking about sanctity of life. Don't start talking about biblical sexual ethics. Don't start talking about justice and mercy. You just, hey, you forgive sins and just let, you just stay on my arm. Don't you do our Jesus like that. He's got something to say about every area of your life. And it's not just to condemn. John 17 and 3 says that this is eternal life, that they may know God and Jesus, the one whom he sent. Why did Jesus... Come crashing into our humanity 
right? Why, why the hugaboo and all the hubbub about dying on that cross, forgiving our sins? Why? So that we could know him. He wants to be known by you. Do you realize that? That your Jesus forgave you so that you can know him. And by knowing him, that you can have life in him. There's more to your spiritual journey. I got good news today, y'all. There's so much more to your life in Christ. Let's open the manual together. And let's dig in. And let's figure it out. Amen. Would you close your eyes?